a Shishkin Productions podcast. What's up, Chris? No cold open because of the writer's strike, right? Right. What? Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Sizzle Real Podcast. What's up, y'all? What's up? This, this is, is a, a, little this is a bit, special uh, edition. Yeah, a little bit different. We're, we're fully remote today. Well, we're semi-remote yeah. today. I went We've, back uh, into, so the, uh, into the lounge. You, you're, you're, oh, you are at the lounge. Look at that. I didn't even notice. Yeah, I didn't even notice it. I got, the, I got the camera on and everything. Yeah, no, I painted the walls pink in my house, and I put a big... Well, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't really paying attention. Ha- I didn't have the Zoom recording up. Yeah, uh, you know, I it's a special edition of the podcast. We have done remote a few times before. Uh, yeah. it's, it, it's a little janky. It it's just like it is, the pauses are a little too much. You know what I'm saying? It's just the, the timing is weird. Yeah, well, and another part about it is like, I guess it's the way that Zoom kind of like processes the audio. You can't really talk over each other. And that's all we do because you can't hear the other person. Right. When you talk over each other. Uh, so yeah. th- there might be a few times where where we don't totally understand each other. Yeah, that that that's the whole show in a nutshell is us like talking <laughs> at the same time. So it, it does become very hard to do remotely. Um, Chris, look. Right off the bat, I just want to, I'm going to tell the Sizzler straight up what's going on here. We decided in solidarity with the writers from now on, we're not going to be doing two segments on the show until the strike is over. We're only wow. going to do one segment. It might go long, Chris. It might go an hour well, and a half. It could. It could. I, I don't think it will, but it, it could. But yeah. here's the problem is we're only getting paid for one segment. We don't get paid for two segments. Yeah, we don't get paid enough to do two <laughs> segments of this show. It's true. Uh, BlackRock uh, has not. BlackRock is late on their payments. <laughs> oh, my God. Because they did buy us. Vanguard's OK, though. Vanguard. Yeah, Vanguard's paying. Vanguard's still good. Um, And, you know, another thing I'll unveil this to you right here. I take a lot of inspiration from other podcasts. Um, We're going to hear that in a little bit during this upcoming segment. But. Uh, there's a podcast that I really like who have abandoned doing all cold opens because they actually write their cold opens. And so oh. in solidarity, they've stopped writing their cold opens. We're going to do the same thing for every okay. cold open until the strike is over. We're only going to play this right here. What's up, Chris? No cold open because of the writer's strike, right? Right. What? <laughs> and that's it. That's going to air before every episode. <laughs> So that's what's going on. Uh, Chris, you want to do the social plugs real quick and then we can get into what's going on? Oh, of course. We are at Sizzle Real Gang on Twitter and Instagram. We are Sizzle Real Gang at gmail.com. Send us an email. We don't get enough emails. We are Sizzle Real Gang, the website.com. Uh, yes. That's new and improved, just so you know. Uh, we're we're prepping for the summer of Sizzle. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's going to be and, good. Uh, it's going to be good. I've already got two of the guests lined up. Perfect. And this uh, this one's going to be a little difficult remote, but... Of course, we have the sizzle reel cold line. That yes. is three three two two three 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 forty three sixty one. Call in, leave oh, a message. Beautiful. Text in, do whatever you gotta do. Get your message through to us because when you do that, the show does better. And now that we're canceling one of the segments, we definitely need you, Sizzler. Yeah, but here's in. the other thing is if we have people call in and give us ideas, are does that make them scabs? Yeah, if you're we WGA, not? if you're WGA, do not write in. <laughs> Don't do it. Okay, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, BlackRock will uh, be mad. BlackRock's not crossing any picket lines, dude. They only cross no, uh, of course borders not. and like military dispute lines and shit like that. Um, Chris, 
What have you been up to this week? Uh, this week has it's been a lot of uh, MLS work. So this was the first week of the season where they had midweek games. So we had two goal of the week, what a save, whatever uh, deliverables in the same week. So basically Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I was uh, I was waking up early to turn those videos around. And then the second half of the day, uh, we've been working with Matt King. You know, he, he's been it bringing was, us in some some pretty cool work lately. It was all soccer all week for you. Yeah, you basically had to do twice the amount of soccer shit that you normally have to do. That's, um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm, I guess I'm, sure, just, I'm, sure, uh, I'm sure you're sick of they're it. They're compressing the schedule to, to get ready for international breaks. I think it's um, for League's Cup. I think it's for League's, it League's Cup. Because League's Cup okay. is going to happen in July, so it's going to be like a month-long thing, so... I think there's no regular season games during that time. Well, you know, and, and that's one of those things. It's like, well, yeah, I had a little bit extra work this week, but that's going to even out on on other weeks where there's nothing to do because there's no games. Yeah, that's a good point. But um, although you've been. Yeah, what's up? Exactly. I'm trying to get that League's Cup shit. I really want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For us to do. Well, and um, uh, and you had a heavy MLS week, too, or at least one day. It was a very heavy MLS day. Yes, so we went to Philly to film. Um, I don't know if I can exactly say what kind of content it was, but it mm-hmm. involved um, very unique setups and a lot of different microphone testing. Um, mm-hmm. So we definitely tried out a lot of new microphones that I had never seen before. Um, so that was really cool, but it involved going to Philly for the entire day. It was like come to the office at 11 a.m. and then they, the other rest of the crew came back that night didn't get back until like three in the morning i stayed in philly i was like fuck that i'm not driving back that late um yeah but it was really cool man we worked with this amazing audio guy who's like a pro who's worked on so much stuff and done like live sports and shit and the point of this was it was sort of like a pilot where we were testing out a lot of different microphones like i said um a couple of the ones we used we used those big parabolic dishes like the big plastic parabolic dish with like the microphone inside it um We used a couple smaller versions of that on top of the cameras to see how those worked. We used, uh, you know, normal shotgun mics. We used these things that were like micro shotgun mics that were literally like smaller than like this, smaller than a post-it note pretty much in terms of like, like, yeah, they were super, super tiny and they were like really unobtrusive and really cool. Um, But the thing I was most excited about was a thing called the Konos. Uh, The Konos is like... I think it's a new microphone that just got unveiled at NAB this year or something like that. And it sure. is uh, it's shaped like a shotgun mic, but I think the technology is different. I think it has multiple microphones in it. And the way it works is it's sort of uh, I think it captures audio from a variety of like angles and you can kind of turn on and off which mics you're using so oh is that almost like like three-dimensional audio for lack of a better yeah kind kind of kind of because like the way it works it doesn't plug in with like an xlr cable or a a quarter inch jack it's an ethernet cable so what yeah it's crazy you plug the microphone in via ethernet into like its own little audio interface that it comes with and that audio interface has kind of a, a button and like three switches on it or like knobs and so one of the knobs, you can turn it and it will let you monitor like its directional microphone, right? The main thing that it would be. One of the mm-hmm. mics lets you monitor the sound up to 180 degrees around it in the front. One not one of the settings lets you monitor the audio that's playing behind you. 
and one of them really uh one of them uses that directional thing and then puts it through its own kind of uh cleanup and noise reduction so it becomes like it gives you a processed signal on like one of the channels as well it's crazy so we basically my what i'm going to be doing this week is going through all the shit we captured and through all 10 different tracks of audio for the entire match and kind of figuring out where we got good audio what works best what doesn't work um so i'm actually excited about it i like audio and i feel like yeah yeah well yeah. it can be overwhelming for people though uh, I, I'm, yeah, for me, I don't enjoy the audio part of editing nearly as much as you do. However, something like this is, it's interesting. It, it, it might be, it sounds like it could be a little bit tedious going through on that edit. And like when you have 10 different sources of audio and they're, they're all slightly different, it, you know, it takes a lot yeah. of work, but it's also, it's cool because we don't get to do projects quite like this very often. And, uh, I mean, I'm excited to see the end result. Uh, I'm guessing this is going to be out in what, like two or three weeks? Uh, I'm not even sure actually about the release date for it. I, I've, I, th- yeah, I don't know. I think that this is technically like it might, it's supposed to be, I think, just like a proof of concept and a pilot. But if it's good, I'm sure they'll put it out. But, um, it, whenever it's out, you know, we'll talk about it on, on Sizzle for sure. I'll, I'll, I'm curious to yep. hear your opinion of it whenever you see like the finished product or the v1 or whatever because um i think it looks really cool like there's there's some cool stuff the, the lenses were good the cameras were good so I'm, I'm pretty excited for it yeah yeah and if if this little test pilot goes well we could be doing a few more of them throughout the season yeah that'd be sick to get to go to some games because it lets us go on the sideline which i always love for soccer shit yeah being on the pitch is so cool um, all right, let's talk, of course, about uh, this thing that's happening, the writer's strike. It is still going on. Um, I mentioned, I teased it a little bit earlier uh, about how I like to just like listen to other podcasts and sort of rip them off. So this one kind of relates back to you. I know you're a huge Dan Lebetard fan. Um, yes. For me, I'm a big fan of this show called Under Understood. Um, it's kind of just like a, it's kind of a podcast where they go and like, basically help people answer questions that they have. And I think it started as like an internet thing where it's like, Hey, here's a weird thing on the internet. Can you find out the mystery behind this or the story behind it or whatever? Um, For this one, they were talking writer strike and they had a guy on um, named Alex O'Keefe. Alex O'Keefe, I think over the last few weeks uh, kind of rose to prominence through this New Yorker article called why are TV writers so miserable? Um, and Alex O'Keefe wrote on the bear that is kind of his, uh, his, his, it was it like, it's, it, it was what, it was his break sort of, it was his big break was writing on the bear. So fairly recent. Um, he was also on Lebetard, which is a show that, that you like. And, uh, yes. it was basically going into why TV writers aren't getting paid enough or why What's what's going on with that? So you watch that Lebetard thing. So maybe walk the people through what that was. Um, so, I mean, it was it was a pretty simple interview. He was mostly just talking about what it was like writing for that that show and how, you know, it it's been very successful. And, you know, it was kind of like there was a huge buzz around it uh, earlier in the year. But despite all that and despite all the money it's making, he's basically broke like he literally during that interview um 
he he gave out his Venmo and he got like thirty thousand dollars in uh, in donations uh, because he, he just talked about the you know what the process was and how how much work he did on it. Like work, he was working in Brooklyn at the time, just like from his apartment. It was still kind of COVID era, uh, and I, I believe he's he's in LA now, but he's. He's basically in the negative going to to these award shows and, and, you know, winning, winning awards for his work. And and they haven't even properly compensated him. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, I think when we did our deep dive on the WGA strike, we sort of glossed over the residual thing because we didn't really understand it. I think now after this last week, I have a little bit more perspective on the residual thing, the way that uh Alex O'Keefe kind of made it sound in his interview. He said that there's writers who wrote on shows like Abbott Elementary, which like, you know, I didn't watch it, but like it's a popular show and it's made it's got a big budget and it's made for like a giant studio. Uh, There was writers who were getting like seven cent residual checks, seven cents. It's it's just absurd. Like it's not even it's not even worth the gas to to drive to the bank to deposit it it's barely worth the the time to it's, it's, to it's, take a photo and do a mobile deposit it's it's barely worth the fucking paper it's printed on you know what i'm saying it, it's probably not yeah it, it's, well, it's i fu- mean yeah what it's less than it, it's literally what uh a tenth of the cost of a stamp basically like it's just it, it's really it's it's re- it, that type of shit was really really like annoying to me when I when I saw that because I didn't realize that it was like that bad I thought that oh okay well maybe the residual checks are like you know a few hundred bucks because it's for new shows and then maybe like as the shows are like you know 20 years old and they get down to like the cents or whatever but I mean that's a pretty that's a new show like that's, that's kind of nuts to me that uh that it's like that and he was saying I think and, you know, again, like if you really want to read this shit, like go to the New Yorker and type in why are TV writers so miserable? Uh, go to Dan Lebetard and type in Alex O'Keefe. Like you'll you'll be able to see all this shit. But he said he was uh, hired. I think this was for the bear for forty three thousand dollars is what it came out to for the year. Forty three thousand. Yeah. And he was yes. like, yo, this is sick. I'm pumped. Forty three thousand dollars. First of all. But. It's no, not even, actually $43,000. It's not. But even the fact that you can go like 43000 I'm pumped is like, that's kind of nuts. Because I feel like as, as an editor, you can pretty for as an editor for like the shit we do. No offense, clients. But like for the like random stuff we do, it's not TV. And we still it's pretty easy to make more than that as an editor every year. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that $43,000, that's before taxes, California taxes, New York taxes, which, you know, they're damn near 50%. Uh, that's before his agent fees. So I think what he actually made was a little bit closer to half of that for like a year's worth of work on a hit TV show. And, you know, that there's a lot of people who might live in, in lower cost of living areas and be like $43,000 to write some shit. That's great. But in a place like LA or New York, that, that puts you like just above poverty levels like if you if you work a minimum wage job in in either of those states you're making about thirty thousand dollars a year probably and that's just barely a step up from that and then once you consider taxes and agent fees that's that's less it's less than minimum wage it's said in this article that uh he was living still in his like tiny brooklyn apartment and he 
the landlord, you know, obviously sucked and didn't have they didn't have heat during the yeah. winter. So he used a space heater, but the space heater would overload the um the electricity or whatever, and like the electricity kept going out, so he'd get disconnected from Zoom calls because the internet would go out. So he ended up having to go to the public library with his laptop to write the fucking bear in the public library. It's, like it's, what? It's, it's, it's absurd, man. I and like so you know I, I mentioned the he gave out his Venmo and he he got thirty thousand. You know he got more from just like doing an interview and talking about his plight than he actually got paid for doing the work. Yeah, and and, and you know the craziest part of it is, and this is something he brought up, or it w- it was brought up in one of the interviews I listened to with him, but it was like it's like. I don't want to say Hollywood in a generalization because there's like a lot of parts to it. Right. But sure. let's say that let's say the producers or the studios are trying to almost like take advantage of lower class individuals who maybe value 40,000 a lot and go, you know what? Let's just squeeze work out of them because they'll just go for it rather than yeah. paying like an equitable or whatever equitable wage you know what i'm saying yeah it, um, it becomes a giant race to the bottom like almost everything under capitalism and i'm pretty sure i think i read that alex o'keefe uh grew up poor in florida and it's like well we more or less did the same thing i mean i wouldn't say we were yeah. poor but we weren't we, we're like a step below middle class it's just crazy to me because if i just told you randomly like a, a smattering of what this guy worked on and then I said, guess how much ballpark, how much he makes a year. Like if I said, hey, this guy was a staff writer on The Bear. He uh, wrote speeches for Ed Markey and he wrote speeches for Elizabeth Warren. And like he's a 28 year old writer who lives in I think he's in L.A. now, but whatever. At the time, let's say New York. And I said, how much do you think this guy makes? <laughs> People, you, I mean, I would I would guess around like 150, 200,000, something same. like that. Yeah. And, and I guess it's just it's crazy to me that like, uh, I don't know, that they can so blatantly just like trample on on people's like worth. It's so right? fucking nuts. Well, any, you know, even 150, I say 150 and that sounds like a huge number. Anyone should be happy to make that. But in a place like New York or L.A., that just makes you middle class. You know, that that yep. doesn't make you rich by any means. That just means that you're you're comfortable with which, you know, that that kind of should be the goal for most jobs. Right. Is kind of bring yep. get get rid of the extremes of, of the ultra wealthy and of of those in poverty and kind of bring everyone closer to the middle. But yep, it, it's just it, it's, it's this happening is not, the opposite way. And it has been for 40 years. Oh, yeah. It, the divide is great. And I know we've talked about him a, f- a few times on this show already. David Zaslav. Um, I think who does he's in charge of like uh, of Discovery or some shit, right? Or one uh, of those Warner Brothers things. Discovery. So yeah. Uh, is that the and same? Either one of, one of those new studio conglomerate things or things are coming together and people at the top's paycheck tends to double when <laughs> when they get put together or whatever. But he makes, yep. uh, I think, what is it, a quarter billion? Um, and that's another thing that I think uh, Alex O'Keefe mentioned in one of his interviews. He said that if you were to take like three CEOs salaries and just like lower them a little bit, it would cover the two percent that the writers are asking for on residuals. Like he said, yeah. all they're looking for is two percent and they won't even begin to negotiate with them. They don't even come to the table, which is that's bonkers, man. That's nuts. It's super, it's super frustrating. And, and that's, you know, that's not just a, just a Hollywood thing, a writer's thing. It's, it's all of capitalism where CEOs 
are making like 300 times what they were 15 or 20 years ago. And, you know, the, the actual labor is making less than they ever have based on the productivity. I think if the, the main good thing that will come out of this strike, hopefully, it's not necessarily like content is going to become like so much better and blah, 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 blah. I think the visibility of the disappearing middle class is what's important here. Right. To me, yeah. just personally, because it's like, yeah, con- like I'll be I've been frank. I've, I've said it already about this. I've uh, frankly like I don't really watch TV. I don't watch any of these fucking shows that these writers write for. But that's not really the point. The point is like paying people fairly for their labor. You know what I mean? And so I think, you know, we saw it. We've seen it with like Starbucks unionizing. We've seen it with other things like unionizing. But this is so front and center like that it hopefully has a bigger impact that reaches past writers. I know SAG have just sent out recently, like last week, uh, their strike authorization um, kind of referendum, I think, or whatever. But on June 7th, SAG is going to enter into negotiations with the AMPTP. And so if, if SAG comes on board, we are going to have a firestorm of a, of a June. Things are going to be are going to get crazy, I think. Yeah, things are going to grind to an absolute halt. Um, and then I, I, I'm pretty sure that the Directors Guild uh, has a, a sim- similar authorization coming up later in June as well. So mm-hmm. there's a chance that we could see three major Hollywood unions all kind of combining. And I mean, I've said it before, but that's honestly everyone's best bet to to get fair and equitable pay and rights. Um, yeah. But even uh, this is from no film school, even just in the last few weeks, production permits have declined nearly 70 percent in L.A. because of the strike, uh, which mm-hmm. is I mean, 70 percent is insane. Uh, that's because people just aren't shooting anymore. It's not worth it to to spend millions and, and lose money uh, if people are not willing to cross the picket lines. The uh, the the extent of it has reached even as far as like uh, students, I think, because um, it, at Boston University, I guess some, what a tone deaf fucking choice of a person to give this. But they picked David Zaslav to give like the commencement or whatever, I think. Sure. And like what an incredibly tone deaf move. So I think uh, while he was giving it, um, they broke out in chants of like, pay your writers, pay your writers or something like that. So he, his speech was like interrupted and he looks like such a uh, fucking like, I don't know. He looks like the bad guy from Star Wars or some shit up there, like mixed with like Trump. Uh, he looks so fucked up. Yeah, he's got yeah. like his well, reflective he's got sunglasses to him. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I know what I'm doing sucks, but what are you going to do about it? You stupid idiots. So and that they, kinda- they were even flying a uh, like a, a banner that said David Zaslav, pay your writers. Yeah, good. I'm glad. And I know that WGA have had that. Um, they they were striking over there today by the Playwrights Theater uh, in Boston. So, you know, the strike reaches uh, is starting to reach more widely. My biggest concern, I think I've mentioned this to you. I don't know if I actually mentioned it on the show, but is uh, them reaching for YouTubers to like try to fill those gaps. Yeah, I think. Uh, probably TikTokers too, just like people who are who are creating and who aren't, you know, they're not in that space. They're not in Hollywood. They're not yeah. uh, part of unions because what they do, they do it on their own. Uh, and it's probably got to be very tempting for them because 
there there is extra money there's probably a, a better likelihood for guaranteed money you're not relying on like on view counts and and plays and ads ad supported stuff you could actually just get a paycheck up front uh i'm hoping yeah. it's weird because i'm hoping that they they resist and that they, they you know respect the solidarity but at the same time it could be a good opportunity for them and it's this is shitty but it could actually we could see some some pretty talented uh artists come out of this strike uh yeah. basically as scabs yeah it's it that's the only thing that is concerning is like it, it's really not that expensive anymore to make captivating media um it's not like I spend more time watching TikTok and YouTube than I do TV, but like by a long shot, by like an, a long, long, long shot. Um, and so, you know, I don't think that their content w- would be as good, but I definitely see that as like a last gasp opportunity for these studios. I think that like, okay, sure. you know, SAG goes away. SAG is the big one, dude. SAG is the big one. Because if SAG goes away, then then it shit is on. But like, yes, you know, who's to say that they wouldn't reach out to like Mr. Beast? You know what I mean? Maybe Mr. Beast already has a TV show. I don't fucking know. He but, probably does. He, I mean, and, he's got everything. Um, yeah, it's a, uh, it's it's tough. It's the the one thing I'll say about like YouTubers and TikTokers is for the most part their content is pretty niche. Like. It, it has to resonate with a, a very specific set of people and it might not be as widely appealing to, to the general population. And that, that seems yeah. to be how a lot of these shows get made is it seems like, you know, the, the executives feel like they can bring a lot of different eyes to this instead of just a very specific set of eyes. It's just that to me, I think about it like last time this happened, there was a huge explosion in reality TV and now is that I, I imagine they're going to take a bet on something else. And I think it might be YouTubers and independent creators. Um, but yeah, he, he, the thing is, I think that could fill any gaps when it comes to like nonfiction content and like stuff like sure. that. But when it comes to like premium, like fiction shows, like narrative shows. Yeah. Telling a story no, over the course of multiple years. Even if you want to replace the writers on like a sketch show, like, some dude the sketches on fucking youtube and tiktok and all that shit are so bad like that shit is so fucking lame like if they i can just imagine like them casting a bunch of maybe that didn't that already happen actually they tried to do that where they tried to get a bunch of like tiktokers to do a sketch show and it was just like terrible i'm pretty sure that that happened at some point sounds right but But, another thing about it is like with youtube and tiktok a, a lot of what you come across is just it's generated by the algorithm so it, it gives all these opportunities to find new content. And when you're talking about, you know, like watching television, you're not necessarily going to stumble across those shows and and respond to them the same way. Like you're not going to go looking for them. Yeah. But part of YouTube or, or TikTok, part of the joy is like you just open it up and see what's going on. But when you're sitting yeah. down to watch TV, I mean, I guess some people just channel surf. That's that's still a thing for for some households but for the most part it's it's a la carte you pick what you want to watch at any given time and you're probably not not going to give some random tiktoker the same chance as a critically acclaimed show that everyone's talking about yeah and the thing for me again it just comes down to the 
recognition. That's why this June 7th thing for SAG is huge for me. Because, like, if I see a show and it says, like, hey, Adam Scott is in this new show, I'll be like, oh, yeah. okay, I'll check it out. But if I if it's just, like, a random YouTuber, I don't know, I'm not going to check it out. The thing is, there's probably a, a lot of young people who actually would prefer to see YouTubers in those roles because that's who they know. But are those young people going to television for that? No, probably not. You're right. That's a great point. Yeah. So, but, um, but uh, yeah. And, and back to, back to the SAG thing is look, to be honest, most people don't give a fuck about who, who wrote the show. Like I know I don't even care who wrote the show. I just care if it's good or not. Like, yeah, you have people like Aaron Sorkin who, uh, you know, they they've put out such consistently good stuff that anytime they come out with something, it's like, oh, I should check this out. But there are yeah. very, very few writers who are like that. However, actors, everyone, everyone has a favorite actor, you know, Every, or everyone has actors who they're like, oh, I want to see what he does or she does in this show because I just like them. Like, that's how I'll, I'll be honest. I love Ryan Gosling. Anytime Ryan Gosling is in like a comedy or like he has some sort of comedic role, I'm like, yes, I want to watch this because I, I just think he's funny for some reason. Like he, yeah. but I, you know, I want to see those movies. Are you, are you going to go see Barbie? Isn't he, he's in Barbie, right? Yeah. I want to see Barbie. We're going to, um, on it. Fem, they're going to do it on feminine. Oh, wait, maybe I shouldn't, shouldn't blow up their spot. Uh, well, I think <laughs> there's a podcast I know that might be doing it, but, um, yeah, we're going to go. I think I'm going to go with them to check that out. And uh, maybe Hell you yeah. can be the guest. That'd be crazy, bro. Get Chris on as a guest on Feminine Features. That'd be nuts. Yeah, that'd be wild. Trying to do some uh, synergy here in the in the in the um in our network, you know. Yeah. I'm trying to be the Zoslav of fucking Bushwick, <laughs> dude. Um, I don't know, man. I think at the end of the day, like it comes down to the fact that this is such I mean, this is such an obvious statement, but the way people consume media is so different in in different age groups that like yeah the strike only really affects people who are of a certain age and like if you're 25 I would say or maybe 27 or younger you don't even notice the effects of it it doesn't it doesn't matter to you at all well and look even for someone like me who like I do watch a pretty decent amount of shows and movies uh I <laughs> I have such a backlog of shows that I'd like to watch that I could easily go a year or more without new content. Like I'll be most disappointed by the shows that are currently happening that I'm into that might not continue or they might not continue for at least a few years, but yeah. shit, I've never seen the Sopranos. Like, you know, if there's nothing new, I'll just watch the Sopranos or, you know, or the wire or any, any of the, the last two decades of this golden era of television, there's so much content that it's almost impossible to have watched it all. And everyone probably has a backlog. I think that also goes back to like the main part. The main problem is that there's already so much shit. That's why residuals matter so much. Cause it's like, yes. dude, people don't have the bandwidth to watch new shit. So you need to pay more fairly for this content that's going to live on forever because there's new distribution systems that exist now that didn't exist when the contracts were made in the 90s, you know, or right. whenever they were updated. It, Who cares? If I you know if I rewatch Breaking Bad, you know, that ended 10 years ago, but people can still watch that and enjoy it. So why shouldn't the writers or, you know, everyone involved with it continue get, to get paid? Because obviously someone is still profiting off of it if it's still being watched. 
I think a wise man on the sizzle reel once said, everything should enter the public domain after one year of existence. I believe <laughs> I, something along those lines I said at one point. <laughs> okay. But I, it, that would solve the problem. Imagine, like, everything sizzle reel is public, is public domain. domain now. Huh? Sizzle Reel's public domain. Well, the first however many episodes. This one yeah, is, yeah, yeah. is still private, but this one's still owned by BlackRock Capital. But uh, <laughs> uh, but, but um, I was going to say, if everything hits public domain after a year, then that's it, it's free. And then you have to hire the people to make more stuff, right? No? Okay, okay. I think I'm on to something. I, I think that might disincentivize people to make shit the same way, but yeah. Yeah, but then you just get a... No, you make more. It's going to make people make more shit, right? No, am I wrong? Am I well, not thinking I, I mean, all maybe. Well, I, my, my I, only thought is like, if if we can only make money on this for one year, well, that's probably not even enough to justify the costs. I mean, it could be wrong. Look, I mean, they spent how many billions to make that fucking Lord of the Rings series that nobody yeah, watched? Yeah, they spent a billion dollars to, to just like do nothing for 10 episodes. What sucks is that... Like, I don't know. I don't know how this necessarily relates, but someone I saw in a comment was like, you know, there is no like solidarity with networks anymore. Like no one cares because people just will jump between networks to go or streaming services, I guess, to watch different things. Right. Someone was like, I don't I don't care about Hulu or Netflix or anything i care about frazier i want to watch frazier i don't care what fucking yeah. channel it's on yeah and, it's about the ips it's not about the, the the streaming service like i could give a shit about any of them i just care about what the content is yeah and so if we had it in the public domain there could be a free public domain streaming site where it was just free to take all these things and watch them at home just throwing it out there just throwing it i out mean it'd, it'd be great for the consumers I'll tell you that it, it would basically be like reinventing the like the theater system, theatrical release system, because then it's like, cool, it's one year of streaming and then it's free for everybody. So I don't know. It's I think we're going to see some creative solutions come out of this strike, because like right now, it seems like nobody wants to budge. And I think when push comes to shove, if SAG and the DGA both get involved, shit's going to going to be bombastic. Yeah, yeah, I you know it's it's difficult because like i feel for the writers who like they're not getting paid at all right now and they still have to be out there picketing uh but the longer that this goes on the better chance they have of winning it i think it's just going to be tough for them to get through that in the meantime uh you know they're they're (laughs) going to start getting jobs at starbucks and then start unionizing there too (laughs) A shout out to them for like starting this whole domino effect, though. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And and the timing's very important. It's, it's just in the last year, what we've seen with artificial intelligence and and chat GPT. And, and these are these are things that are accessible by just the common person. Uh, you know, imagine imagine when you have the the kind of money that Hollywood does what yep. what they can do with that and how they can improve those AIs it comes back to the fact that and in in the under understood um episode you know i highly recommend everyone go listen to that cuz it's really really good um in that episode where they talk about the strike they play a lot of clips of Reed Hastings from Netflix like basically being describing his whole idea this is like they're from from years ago but the idea that like yeah they want to just make content at scale and like green light these things. And so they go back to talking about mini rooms and they go, 
it's really frustrating because these writers will be put through this crazy sprint to write all this shit, to write an entire season, and then it just might not even get made. And so there was yeah. one example that, and I think, actually, I think Alex O'Keefe brought this up in that interview, but he, he didn't he didn't say the name of it because um, I guess that, that would be, you know, secret. But NDA. There was, yeah, there was like a show that was based on a book or something that it was very well known that like three or four different studios have tried to write this show um and he personally had friends who were like i think in other writing rooms on this show uh or other attempts at this show and every single time every studio tried to make it they all got shelved without even getting made but it's not like they just got shelved and then they got reused by other places they just completely were gone so it's like these writers spent all this time writing thinking, okay, and then maybe I'll get residuals off of this when it gets made. No, they just get thrown in the trash. And so it's like, what the fuck was the point of that? Like, if you guys have the money to spend on these people to just waste their lives away, like, we need to figure out a more equitable fucking system for this shit, bro. Because it's obviously not that important to you. And Reed Hastings, you know, going back to it, he was always like, it's just about, it's really about quantity. They don't care about the quality. They just keep making shits until something hits. Um, so they're just they're just tech companies, man. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, they, yeah, they just see everything as a spreadsheet. Uh, and dude, it's so stupid. Like, remember, you know, five, ten years ago, we talked about AI and how it can like it, it can take the menial jobs that like just suck for humans to work and and get rid of those. And we can focus on being creative and artistic, but instead it's taking the artistic and creative jobs. Like what, why, why are we, why are we employing machines to, to find the the spark of human creativity? It's just, it's, and what another terrible part about that is, well, where does the machine get this information from other writers work who they never agreed to train an AI model on, on their writing. The worst part is like at a certain it's just point, plagiarism. Yeah, it's plagiarism. But at a certain point, it's such a feedback loop that you're not going to get like real experiences. Like, you know what I mean? I don't know if like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If all you're doing is writing things from a perspective that's based on regurgitating old things, you're never going to discover new things or like, you yeah, might, you might, but it'll take longer. Whereas like if you get 12 different people in a room who all have different life experiences you're going to end up with something very new and that's where like truth comes from and that's where like cool art comes from but mm-hmm. you know they don't care about it they care about money bro they care about money that's capitalism always always yep. fucking shit up but you know what sizzle reel we're not fucking having it dude that's why we're on a podcast strike we're not doing the second half of the show we're not no. doing it um chris do you have anything else to add before we go to what we learned last week and wrap this thing up for the week no, I don't think so. I think that uh, we're going to be talking about the strike for many more weeks coming up yep. and uh, don't want to blow our wad too soon. Yeah, it's true. Um, and, you know, I'm sorry, Sizzlers. I, you, you guys, the, what, what you guys can do is go out there and pick it. Tweet at David Zaslav. I'm sure he reads all yeah. those. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but co- co- try complain to-, to Hollywood that you're not getting an extra 30 minutes of sizzle reel each week. Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> that's how it is. That's how it goes. Um, Chris, you ready for what we learned last week? I sure am. What we learned last week. Uh, so last week, in honor of the uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs going on, I learned, and this is honestly kind of obvious. I feel like I should have known this, but 
uh, they keep the pucks frozen before putting them on the ice. Um, oh, dude, because you got to when. Yeah, because when they start to warm up, they they start to like bounce differently. Uh, and I just never considered that. I always figured, you know, they just kind of sat around near the ice like and, and got cold just by being in the arena um, Proximity. or just by, by <laughs> being on the ice. But uh, I get yeah, they go through about 12 pucks a game and it's not because they're getting, you know, hit out of uh, out of the the rink or anything like that. It's because you have to cycle through them uh, in order to, you know, maintain the, maintain the proper temperature. Bounce. The yeah, proper yeah, temperature yeah. of the puck. It's almost like with footballs, you know, they keep them slightly deflated. That's what I've heard. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> the whole thing. I've only been to Patriots games. Um, For me, what I learned was it's about public transit. I learned that it's possible to go from Lisbon to Ho Chi Minh City only on public transit. So from Portugal right. to Vietnam. That's wild. Yeah. You take a train from port from Lisbon to Moscow then you get on the the Trans-Siberian to China. Then in China, you transfer to a train to Vietnam. And then I think it's Hanoi. And then from there, you take a bus to Ho Chi Minh City. And uh, wow. it said the journey takes weeks, but it's just cool that like you can just do it all on public transit. And in America, I mean, you just, can't even take public transit from like here to fucking Iowa or some shit. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, and... <laughs> That's the thing is like, sure, we in America, we have some trains, but they're all private companies, you know, like the only yeah. real like train systems that are public transportation just get you through the city. And, you know, like New York has the the best one and that, that can take you it can take you out east onto Long Island uh, and it can take you up north, but it, it's not going to take you to California. Yeah. One of these days we got to kind of get that shit sorted, too. We're we're uh. Rome is burning. <laughs> it's bad. Um, all right, Chris, where can the people find us before we head out for the day? Oh, uh, we are at Sizzle Gang on Twitter and Instagram. We are Sizzle Gang at gmail.com. Send us an email. Uh, we have Sizzle Gang, the website.com. It is new and improved as we ramp up for the summer of Sizzle. And of course, we have. The sizzle reel, sizzle cold reel line. cold line. That is that three, is three, two, three, three, two, three, 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 That was actually really fucking good for being Perfect. on the Zoom. Um, all right, Chris, thank you for doing this. Uh, of I know course. this is a uh, Sunday afternoon record, but um, you guys, thank I'm just you for watching listening. hockey in the background. <laughs> and like I said, if you uh, want more sizzle reel, write your state reps, write Hollywood. And mm-hmm. tell Zaslav to uh, spread some money around to the writers. Yeah. Uh, blind CC us. A Shishkin Productions podcast.